Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to apologize for my last episode where I said Tina Turner was Australian. I later rechecked my analysis and uh, she is not Australian. She is, in fact, American Canadian. So that cleared up. And then one more thing I forgot to mention last time were my ratings. So I mentioned IMDb already has ratings. Then they have the number system, give a rating out of 1 through 10, and that's a general audience score. So my input, I will use the alphabet system. Uh, my grades will be F, D, C minus, C, C plus, B minus, B, B plus, A minus, A, A plus, and then the rarest achievement, A plus plus, if a movie gets my respect that well. So uh, I forgot to give the ratings for the four Mad Max movies in my last episode, so I will give them to you now. So the first one, Mad Max, a good film for its time, can be a little slow, but overall it was pretty good. I give it a solid B. Not too good, but not bad at all. The second one, Road Warrior, Better than the first one, definitely. And actually, pretty exciting and pretty enjoyable to watch. There were a few things I didn't like. I, I don't know. It was something... There was something I didn't like. Uh, might have been the, the environment, like the desert environment. But, nonetheless, it was a great watch. So, I give it an A-. minus. The third movie, Beyond Thunderdome. Now, as a nostalgic movie, it's up there with nostalgic movies. It's pretty good as a nostalgic movie, but as an actual movie itself and me actually criticizing it, I'd give it a hard C. It wasn't very good from a critical standpoint. Sorry, just wasn't good, even though it had Mel Gibson and Tina Turner. Then you had the fourth one, uh, basically 30 years later from Beyond Thunderdome. That deserves an A. That movie was absolutely fantastic. One of the best films of the 21st century. And I am not even kidding. And the reason I'd give it a nod over the second one is just because of the modern cinematography and modern filming techniques that give it a slight edge over the second one. So there were my ratings for the Mad Max franchises. Movies, sorry. Overall, and I'd also give a franchise overall score so the franchise overall had one bad movie, one okay movie, and two good movies. So I'd give the total franchise a B plus. I'd recommend to watch it too. If if anything's under a B, I wouldn't watch it. B B minus. You could watch it if you want. B plus, I would I would suggest it. So there were my ratings for that. And now let us get in to 2001, a Space Odyssey, and 2010. The year we make contact. 2001, A Space Odyssey. One of the greatest movies of all time. Ranked number 90 for greatest movies of all time on IMDb. It only won one Oscar, but that doesn't matter. Because the cultural impact of 2001 has been huge. Now for the movie itself, it was rated G came out in 1968 and was two and a half hours long. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty long movie, which is why I believe 
people who watch it are going to be divided, and I'll tell that in a second. But first, IMDb. Now you were expecting a sponsor there, weren't you? IMDb, the audience score, give it an 8.3 out of 10. That's pretty respectable. As I said before, this is one of the greatest movies of all time. It, it and 2010 were based off a book series by Arthur Clarke. Now, the books came out around like a few years before these two movies were made. 2001 came out in 1964. And 2010, I believe, came out in 1976. So eight years before 2010. But nevertheless, this movie was directed by the legendary Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick is a bit of a weird case because most famous filmmakers make a lot of movies. For example, Steven Spielberg, who seems to come out with two movies every year, it seems like. And, well, since you make so many, you get some good and some bad, even from Steven Spielberg, who is probably the greatest filmmaker the past 30, 40 years. Maybe even, maybe even 50. What makes Stanley Kubrick different is he only made around 12 films. And basically every single one of them are awesome. You cannot deny that. They are full of everything you want in a movie. And Kubrick did it at a high level, but he only made a few. And be, well, also due to the fact that he died early as well, tragically, I, for, I forgot when he died, but he died, he died younger than what most you know, filmmakers do. Speaking of, you know, being old Steven Spielberg, I think he's getting in his nineties. It's just crazy. Anyway, Kubrick only made 12 films and 2001 might be his most well-known film. Because it was based off the book series, Kubrick and the author of those books, Arthur C. Clarke, joined together to make the script. Now, this movie, when it came out, was amazing for its time. Special effects were off the charts. CGI wasn't going to be invented until 25, 30 years later. But the effects for the quintessential sci-fi movie were epic. It could be said it is the first major sci-fi film to ever be produced. And you could probably argue for that. Now, there were, there's two people in this movie I want to talk about. First was Douglas Rain, who voiced HAL 9000. Okay, now I probably won't talk about Douglas Rain, but I'll talk about HAL 9000. You see, what made this movie so great is not only the exploration part but also the humans and the robot HAL 9000 what you have here is a very interesting concept you see in the movie the acting at a glance would seem some par they're not quote unquote acting what what are they doing they're just having this emotionless expressionless faces having these faces. And that is done on purpose because HAL 9000 it has more character than the humans. And that was purposefully done that way 
by Clark and Kubrick, which is very, very fascinating. Uh, and then a one little side note here is Billy Weston, who is not accredited in this film. Oh, and also, as far as credits go, the Kubrick credits were not filmed at the were not shown at the beginning of the film. They were shown after the film, which was really weird for the time because credit, you know, you see credits nowadays and you're like, well, that doesn't seem that weird. However, credits weren't introduced until the end of the film until the 90s. So this movie was ahead of its time. As far as the technology goes in this movie as well, uh, Clark and Kubrick got together with some of like the NASA scientists and the top engineers in the world to get a sense of what the future would look like. And they did get a few things like face-to-face time, far distance yeah, video, basically. That was, I thought that was really fun. I'm, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked here. Anyway, so we go to Billy Weston, who's not accredited in this film. And he didn't necessarily act either because he is a stunt double. And you're asking, well, Thaddeus, why, why are you talking about a stunt double? He's not that important, right? Well, this movie what didn't really feature many actors who would go on to go, you know, greater, greater movies. The exception here is Billy Weston, who, despite being a stunt double, has been a stunt double in some of the most famous movies other than this one. For example, this was his third movie. His second movie was the James Bond movie, You Only Live Twice. He was a stunt double for so many people in so many franchises. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Titanic, the list goes on. So, 2001 started the career of Billy Weston, one of the greatest stunt doubles of all time. Bet you didn't know that. So, as far as numbers go, the movie was on a $12 million budget. Uh, opening day, it grossed $202,000. $60.4 earned in the U.S. and Canada. And then the world earned $65.8 million around the world. So uh, nowadays, that's pretty respectable. Which, if you do the numbers... <laughs> so get this. So the budget for 2001 was $12 million, And in 1968, that was pretty big. If you look at the inflation numbers. That would be the equivalent of $100 million, Around a $100 million budget. That's pretty dang high. Okay. I mean, not, not too bad nowadays, but that's pretty high, especially back then. And then uh, total grossings for U.S. and Canada, half a billion. Which, uh, that, that's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy to me, especially in 1968. The equivalent would be half a billion. So overall, I... Okay, so I said I would get to how people respond to this movie. And I believe there are two types of people who watch this movie and after, after they finish it, there are those who say this movie is so long and so boring. I hated it. Like people can barely get past the first half hour because it's so long and drawn out. That's why it's called a drama and people, especially nowadays don't have the attention spans to watch this kind of thing. And on the other hand, you have the people who say 
this is the greatest movie ever made. The, the drama, the intensity of this movie was so awesome. And I would be in the second camp. I loved it. Now, my maybe my attention span is better than most people's. I don't know. But I personally loved this movie. And there is a reason why it is one of the greatest movies of all time. So I give it an A+. Epic movie, one of my favorites to watch, and I would highly suggest it to you. Now we go from 2001, most famous movies of all time, to 2010, the year we make contact. This one came out 16 years later in 1984. This time... Kubrick was not behind the director's chair. It was done uh, by a guy named Peter Hyams. Now, this movie didn't do as well as 2001, obviously. People don't know as much about it. It came out in 1984. It was rated PG. And has a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb. So, obviously, lower than 2001. So, they brought back... Uh, at least at least two actors, uh, Kier Dulia, who played, yeah, Kier Dulia, who was brought back as Dave Bowman, and then uh, Douglas Rain, who returned as Hal, because Hal does return. Uh, now, a slight bit of a spoiler here. Uh, so the plot is that the Russians have built a faster ship, spaceship, than the Americans to get to the Discovery, which is, you know, currently floating in space. And HAL 9000 does make an appearance. And so does Dave Bowman, because Dave Bowman, as you'll find out, is not dead. So not returning from 2001, but you do have two good actors in this movie who came on. Uh, first is Roy Scheider, who is Dr. Floyd. He replaced uh, the person in 2001. I forgot who that was. But he replaced... Yeah, so he's Dr. Floyd. Uh, Roy Scheider did some other stuff. I think that's how you pronounce his name as well. But I loved him as Dr. Floyd. I thought he did a great job. The acting in this movie was actually surprisingly good. I thought it was really well done. Uh, they had a lot more uh, character things happening in 2010 than 2001. And then you had Helen Mirren in this movie. Which, this, even though this movie wasn't big, was technically her second big movie. Her, she, in the beginning, you know, was a Shakespearean actress. And uh, her previous, like, her first major movie was Excalibur in uh, 1981. So, a few years earlier. And then this movie, where she, <laughs> she played a Russian astronaut. I thought she was pretty good. Uh, it was kind of weird, but she, she had a really good accent, I thought. So, she did well there. And then uh, a few interesting notes on this. So you obviously had the discovery from the first film and they would have to interact with it in the movie. The problem was, is when Kubrick finished 2001, he didn't want anyone else stealing the models from the movie. So he destroyed everything like the drawings, the prototypes, he destroyed everything. So what the 2010 crew had to do was try and recreate it. I think they had some other, they had like a, some other like original model prototype drawing from somewhere they found. 
luckily. But they, they also had um, Arthur C. Clarke also works with this project as well because, you know, he wrote the book. He's got to be invested in the movie. So they destroyed and they managed to regain the discovery and they, they did it really well. They brought it back to life. So now the statistics of this movie. So uh, this movie is pretty much exactly half an hour less than 2001. It's shorter, half an hour shorter. So that makes it slightly more watchable, I guess, for modern viewers. Uh, I wouldn't say it was not as dry as 2001. The budget for this movie at the time was 28 million, which is under 100 million in today's market. So it was it was less than half of the production of 2001. I really wish pe- more people would have gotten behind this project, but that's the way it went. Uh, it opened, it got 7.3 million. And then the U.S. and Canada was 4.4 million, which nowadays is basically uh, 100 million. So it earned 100 million in the U.S. and Canada alone. I don't really like to do worldwide stats. I mean, I, I could, but I don't feel like it because this is my podcast, not yours. <laughs> so uh, hundred million, which is one fifth of what 2001 made. And that was probably the reason why they didn't continue, which is why I am really sad because if you did not know the book series, Arthur C. Clarke wrote four books to it, 2001, 2010, 2061 and 3001. And there were talks like two or three years ago that they were going to make a 2061 movie, which is called uh, Odyssey 3 as well. But nothing has really come to fruition. And I really want to see an Odyssey 3 and an Odyssey 4 movie. Uh, Well, he calls it 3001, the final Odyssey. So I really want to see them, and especially with the modern uh, CGI and modern techniques but as far as as far as this movie itself goes i thought it was pretty good it's one of the more criminally underrated movies i've seen the acting was great the story writing was great it it did leave a few things out of the books but it was probably a good idea that they did i thought this was a really solid movie so i'd give it an a minus yes it might seem a little high but i I just love this movie. It was it wasn't quite as good as 2001 obviously. It didn't, you know, the sales weren't high, the ratings aren't as high as 2001. But I still think it's a classic movie and it was definitely ahead of its time as far as the cinematography and the techniques. Like they got they they managed to be 2001 and yet be something different, which is what you want out of your sequels. And it was a good thing they still had Arthur C. Clarke in the movie, which that doesn't very happen nowadays with authors and having their film and TV adaptions. So there are the two Odyssey movies, one really famous, one not so famous. And I'm hoping for two more Odyssey movies in the future, but we will just have to wait and see. So until next time, thank you for listening. Have a good day. Godspeed.